Good morning, church family. Will you guys go ahead and uh, go to God in prayer with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. Lord, you are holy. God, I thank you so much for all that you are. I thank you for your love for your children. I thank you for the opportunity that we have had and continue to have to approach your throne of grace and mercy, humbly yet boldly because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this family that meets here at JA, and I pray that you will bless us as we strive to be your followers, followers of Jesus in our everyday lives. Lord, I pray that the things that we've said and the things that we do today, the words that we talk about from your word, your holy scriptures, will be beneficial and certainly will encourage us to live a life that brings glory to your name. Lord, thank you for all that you are and help us to be everything you want us to be. Thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Again, good morning, good to see you, glad that we are here together today. If you're visiting with us, as was already mentioned, but let me mention again, thank you for being here. We appreciate you. I know you could be a lot of other places. Uh, you might just be uh, sleeping in your bed this morning, but you're here, and we're glad that you are here and uh, have come together to worship Almighty God. It is a blessing for us to be here together this morning. Uh, we're continuing a series that is really our, our theme for the year, uh, that we are trying to be better. We're trying to seek something greater than what the world has to offer. When Jesus was here on the earth, he told us that he came to live it, to give us life and life that was more abundant than the life that you could just have without him. So we're striving to seek something better, something greater than what the world has to offer. And this morning's, it's going to be a little odd and it's, 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 it's a striking statement that I don't want to be insensitive about. Okay. It's a striking statement and it's, it's done that. I did that on purpose, but I don't want to be insensitive about it. Okay. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things of how we can be better. And this morning, if there's a title to the lesson, you've probably seen it already, perhaps in your bulletin, but you'll see it on the screen here in just a second. It's called better off dead question mark. Are, are, are we better off dead? And like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to be insensitive about it. This morning we have folks who are here who have lost loved ones recently. Uh, we have folks who are here with, that when you hear this question or you hear this statement uh, that we'd be better off dead, uh, that, that strikes you wrong and you, you don't like that at all. That gets all over you. And I understand that. And I don't want to be insensitive to you this morning. But I want us to put together this morning a number of scriptures, walk through a number of scriptures, and notice a common theme, a common thread, if you will, that will explain to us and that Paul definitely thinks Paul in Philippians chapter 1 that we're going to read here in just a little bit if you want to turn there uh, Philippians chapter 1 we'll get there in just a little while uh, but Paul definitely says without hesitation and without regret that his life or his existence that he would be better off dead and I want us to appreciate that and appreciate the anticipation of what comes after this life and have a greater appreciation for what comes after this life. Because if we have that, that'll change our everyday life. That'll change everything about the life that we live here on this earth if we appreciate and anticipate better what's going to come after this life. So again, if you're here this morning and you've had a, a loss of a loved one recently, please understand I'm not trying to minimize your loss. Uh, I know that death is a serious thing. I know that death is something that, uh, that we all deal with and we deal with in different ways and, and we have to mourn that and, and none of that is wrong and I would not want you to get that idea from anything that I'm saying this morning. But I do want you to understand that I believe that Scripture teaches that for the Christian, what comes after this life will be better than anything that's in this life. That the worst day in eternity will be better than the best day on this earth. 
And I want you to understand that and appreciate that and anticipate that in your life because it will change your life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as a part of that creation, he created the Garden of Eden and he placed man and woman, Adam and Eve, into that garden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8, it says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And it's that sandwich, that, to me, that beautiful phrase is sandwiched between some very bad news. There's bad news right before it and there's bad news right after it. But I love that phrase. I love that sentence, if you will, that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the eve. And it's possible that I'm reading into it a little bit, but it's almost said as if, and then the next verse says that they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of God walking in the garden, that this was a regular occurrence. This wasn't a one-time thing. And I've shared this with the family here at JA before, but what I picture in my mind is that God creates the heavens and the earth. The, The pinnacle of his creation is man and woman, and he did all of that so that he could spend time with man and woman. And he created this perfect paradise-type garden so that he could spend that time with them. And it seems as if, now God is all-knowing, and God knows everything that's going on, and we can't hide anything from God. So did God already know what Adam and Eve had done? Likely, yes. But it seems as if, it's painted as a picture as if in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, that God is just coming down to the garden to spend some time with his children. And they hear the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. Over the last week or so, we've had some, some really bad weather, and we've had some really beautiful weather, haven't we? You know, to me, a beautiful weather is bright sunshine, 72 degrees, cool breeze. That's, that's nice. I like that. And I don't know if that's what it was like in the Garden of Eden, but it's in the cool of the eve, in the Garden of Eden, this perfect paradise where there's not, there hasn't been anything like it before, certainly, or even since. And God is coming down to spend some time with his children. And again, I've shared this with you before, but in my mind, when I see God coming in in the evening to spend time with his children, he takes Adam in his right hand and Eve in his left hand, and they just walk through the paradise of the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that, parents? Or have you experienced that recently, parents, when, when your kids wanted to hold your hand, right? And you weren't really going anywhere. It wasn't necessarily that you were holding their hand to keep them out of the street or to keep them away from something that was dangerous. They just wanted to hold your hand. And you wanted to hold their hand. And I picture in my mind that that is the kind of relationship that God was seeking. And as a matter of fact, the the type of relationship that God created everything in order to have with Adam and Eve. So he comes in the garden, in the cool of the day, to spend time with his children But again, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 is sandwiched between some very bad news. Sin enters the world and destroys everything that God purposed to create or everything that God sought, this relationship that God had sought. And, And Adam and Eve, mankind, is thrust into the world and certainly on that day, but certainly on days later, are warned not to love the world. In 1 John chapter um 2 verses 15 through 17 it tells us don't love the world nor the things in the world if you have the love of of the world the love of the father is not in you for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life these things are not from the father but they're from or they're of the world and it tells us in verse 17 that this world is passing away along with its lust but he who does the will of the father abides forever okay again we're going to notice a number of scriptures we'll turn to a few and read them but i want you to notice again this 
this thread or this theme that's going to run through all of the scriptures we'll talk about this morning. First of all, this, the one that we just talked about in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Now, that doesn't mean lives forever, forever. certainly not here on, on earth, maybe not even in a physical form, but the idea of abiding, being with God forever. Remember, that was God's plan. He created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve in the garden, to be with them, to dwell with them, to live with them forever. That's what God wanted. That was the purpose of his creation. And here in 1 John, it tells us that if we do the will of God, we'll abide. We'll have the opportunity to be with God forever. So sin destroyed God's purpose. Sin destroyed what God sought in mankind, Adam and Eve. And we today have been thrust into the world, but we're warned not to love the world because this world is passing away along with its lust. In Mark chapter 8, if you want to turn there, you can. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. It's a familiar passage to you, but we also learn that this world, that uh, God created it perfectly, but now all that's in it is, is not of God, it's of the world. This world isn't perfect, and, and if we were to sell our souls for it, it would not even be worth that cost. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Again, for some of us, a familiar passage, a familiar idea, but let's listen to this. And he, Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit? Here's the question for us this morning as we think about this common thread. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Again, John told us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17 that we have the opportunity, the ability to abide forever. And now in this passage in Mark, he tells us, Jesus says that he's, going, he's talking about he's going to come in the glory of his fathers and with the holy angels. And they're, of course, talking about the second coming of Christ and the, the end of this world and the beginning of the next type of life that we're going to experience after this world. And he's warning us and telling us, I'm going to come at some point. There's this thread of something afterwards, something more, something better, the thing that you and I are seeking, something greater than what the world has to offer. This world is not worth your soul. This world is not worth giving up everything that comes after this life, even if you get everything that you could get in this life. And then we get to Philippians chapter 1. I hope you're there. Philippians chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles if you're not there already. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to read through the first part of verse 27. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 18 through 27. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's a black book on the pew in front of you. I believe uh, Philippians 1 is on page 980. Page 980. Please turn there. Let's read this together. Philippians chapter 1. Here, uh, again, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Just prior to this, Paul is warning the Philippians that there are some people who are preaching the gospel of Christ, and some of them are doing it for good motives, and some of them are doing it for, uh, for bad motives. They're looking for uh, attention. They're looking for money. They're looking for something that will bring them glory and not bring glory to God. And he says, listen, this is Paul saying this, in his mind, 
It doesn't really matter as long as Christ is being proclaimed. I don't care what the motives are as long as Christ is being proclaimed. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my salvation through uh, your prayers and the provision of the Holy of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Important to note here that Paul is writing this from prison. Uh, this is one of his prison epistles. So he's in, in prison uh, somewhere, uh, whether that's a house arrest or, or in a, a jail cell somewhere. Uh, e- either way, he, he is, his freedom is very limited, and that's why he's writing to the Philippians, because he hopes to be with them again sometime soon. Verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything. And listen to this. This is important for us to think about. This is Paul's mindset as a follower of Jesus. I would encourage this to be our mindset as a follower of Jesus. But with, that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by le- life or by death. What is Paul's hope? What does Paul uh, hope for himself? What does he want? What would we say that if we were to, to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, as he tells us to, he says, I want Christ to be magnified, glorified, honored in my body with his life. And he says, this might happen with my continued life or even with my death. Notice what he says in verse 21 that was read to us earlier. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, it, it a little bit answers our question. Better off dead? To to die is gain. But he says it even clearer as we go on. Verse number 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. Okay, listen. I do not know which to choose. Notice the struggle that's going on in his mind as he's thinking about which one's better. Which one should I I desire more? But I am hard-pressed between the two. Having the desire, listen, having the desire, the want to depart and to be with Christ. For that is very much better. Did you hear what Paul said? Now listen, he, he's writing from prison. Paul's had a pretty rough life after he became a Christian. He's, uh, he has rejected his old, his old way. He's rejected his old religion. Because of that, many of his friends and family and loved ones and people he was uh, very closely associated with likely rejected him. Uh, you know, he's, he's suffered for the cause of Christ in, in emotional ways, perhaps in spiritual ways, certainly in physical ways. He's, he has suffered... Uh, so, so he's coming at it from, from probably a, a slightly different perspective than some of us are. But his conclusion is to depart and to be with Christ is very much better. Now I want us to understand and appreciate something about Paul. Uh, Paul is not like uh, Peter. He's not like Peter's brother Andrew. He's not like James and John. Paul is an apostle of Christ, but he's not like the apostles that walked along with Christ. As far as we know scripturally, in a physical sense, Paul has never been with Christ. Now he has the experience on the road to Damascus and and perhaps other experiences that we're unaware of, but he's never physically in that way been with Christ. And he says, I'm I'm hard pressed. It's hard for me to choose which one I, I want to do because I have the desire to depart for this life to be over with. So that I can be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul wants to see Jesus. Paul wants to be with Jesus. Paul wants to be with Jesus eternally. This man, sacrificial God, resurrected Savior, Lord of his life, that he's never really been with. He's been with God the same way that you and I have been with God, and that's, that's not insubstantial 
But it's not the same way as it'll be when it's in heaven. After this life. It's not the same way that, that, that Paul will be, is, that you and I will be with God. And he says it's very much better. If we were to ask Paul, Paul, would you be better off dead? He would say, absolutely. And he's not going to seek death. And certainly we don't want to encourage anything along those lines. And he's going to go on and say that, you know, I'm going I'm to stay and remain and continue to work and bring glory to God in my body. He's not, he's not seeking death in any way, but he's also not afraid of death. Sometimes I think that we as Christians don't know what to do with death because we listen to the world more than we listen to God. Death is a serious thing. We've all had loved ones who have died. We've all mourned their loss. We all continue to mourn their loss. I understand that. But Christians don't have to be afraid of death. And if our loved ones who pass away, if they're Christians, we don't have to be afraid of their death. Now, in the case of ourselves or in the case of our loved ones that that pass away that, that aren't followers of Jesus, it's even sadder. It's even more difficult to deal with. And yes, we should take that under consideration. But for the Christian, death is not something to be feared. What comes after death is something to be anticipated and appreciated and even longing for that. He says again, it's very much better. Verse number 24. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul says, I'm going to continue to serve you and I'm going to be able to best do that by continuing on living in the flesh. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. So that your reason for the boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you again only. And he says this strong phrase in the very first part of verse 27. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, we we could take a whole time, we probably have before, and we, we might do it again sometime. But the idea of living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, what does that mean? Well, what's the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How do you live a life worthy of that? Now, that's a big question that I want you to go home and think about a little bit. But how do you live your life worthy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? How do you live a life worthy of God's plan of salvation coming to its culmination in Christ? How do you live a life worthy of that? One way, let me encourage you, is to consider and to appreciate the idea of what comes after this life. Because if we do that, then our lives will change. Let's turn to a couple other passages. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and let's read verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 3 through 8. Again, a, p- a familiar passage to some of us as we uh, begin to, to wrap up our thoughts and hopefully walk away with something practical this morning. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, Jesus was, was buried... He died, he resurrected, and he has a new life, a different life, a different type of existence. And in the same way we as Christians, even here now today, if you've been baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death so that you could come up out of that watery grave of baptism as we describe it and live a new life, a newness of life, a a, a life that is free from past guilt and also a life that is now focused on a different thing, focused on 
following Jesus and bringing glory to him. Verse number five, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, and here's the description of what we just said, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we also believe that we will live with him. Again, there's another common thread that's running through this, these passages we're looking at tonight, this morning. This idea of living with Christ. The opportunity to abide forever. The opportunity to have this new life. And not just this new life here on this earth, but a life that extends even beyond this life. And of course, we appreciate the, the importance of, of how are we baptized or how do we come in contact with this new life where we're baptized into Christ where we receive this. John chapter 14. Again, another passage that you're probably familiar with. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but I'm just going to summarize what Jesus is talking about there. He's talking to his apostles, and, and it's possible that John 14, 15, 16, a lot of the things that are said there might be just to the apostles, but I think where he starts, some of the, the blessings or the, the promises that he makes in the beginning of John 14, we can also apply those things to our own life. John chapter 14, right after Jesus has told them, I'm, I'm going to die, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. There's that thread again. So that where I am, there you may be also. He says, there's plenty of room and you can be with me. There's plenty of room and you can be with me. In Luke chapter 23, verses 38 through 43, this is the crucifixion scene. Uh, And in Luke's account, we hear of uh, two other people who are being crucified, uh, two criminals. uh, And and one of the criminals, along with the rest of the crowd, is belittling Jesus. And how in the world, I I don't the the audacity of a man who's dying right beside you to to make fun of you while while you're dying as well. I, I don't know where that man's mind was. But the other said, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to that criminal on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And listen, there's a whole opportunity and conversation to have about the criminal on the cross that we're not talking about today. But what did Jesus promise him? Today, you'll be with me beyond this life. There's something better. There was no paradise on the cross. But Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. What's heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to look like? What are we going to do as Christians, for all eternity? There's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of answers to that. There's some answers from, from Scripture about that. But I think that the best answer is, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, I'm going to, what, what heaven's going to be like. As I've said before, and, and I'm confident to say, I, I'm going to heaven. I'm not there yet, but I'm, that's where I'm heading. And if you're a Christian, the same thing is true for you. You're, you're heading to heaven. You're not there yet. But what, what's it going to be like? I don't know. I think the main point of what heaven is going to be like is the thread that we've seen through all of these passages this morning. We're going to have the opportunity to be with God forever. Anytime I talk about heaven, I want to share this next picture on the screen and uh, think about this, this idea of, uh, I did a lesson several years ago, uh, rounding third and uh, heading home. And I love this picture. It's a picture from a 
a walk-off grand slam, I think, and some important baseball game for the Cubs. I, but I just love the picture. I, I love the, the imagery of this, uh, this, this young man who just hit a, a walk-off grand slam, and he's, he's rounding third, and, and you can't see it great, but, but all of his teammates and the, uh, the, the fans and the stands behind him, they are just about as excited as you could possibly be. I think heaven's going to be like that. That when we get done with this life and we head on to the, the next and whatever that's going to be like, that all of our loved ones that are faithful Christians and all the faithful men and women throughout the ages are going to be there to welcome us. I'm excited about heaven. And because I'm excited about heaven, that changes the way that I live my life. I recognize and I appreciate the fact that that God has asked me to live a different kind of life than I would have lived if I wasn't his follower. And so I'm going to do my best and I'm not going to do that perfectly, but I'm going to do it faithfully and try to be who God wants me to be. Because when you get to heaven and the whole crew, the whole squad, all your friends, all your family members, all the people that you've loved and done life with and they've helped you and you've helped them and and people that you've read about in Scripture that you've never even met and people today on the other side of the world and throughout the last, you know, 2,000, thousands upon thousands of years, all the people that have known God and followed God and striven to to be who He wants them to be, they're going to be there. We have the opportunity to be there with them with God. So how do you get there? That's probably the most important question. How do you get there? Here's the good news and the bad news. Uh, the bad news is you've got to be perfect. That's bad news because you can't be perfect. But there is good news. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 7, it tells us, For the Christian, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all of our sins. If you're a Christian, you are not perfect because you are perfect. You are perfect because God is has made you perfect. And that doesn't mean that you do everything perfectly. This evening, this afternoon, when you leave this building, you might do something you ought not to do. And you need to recognize that and repent of that and change your life when you recognize those things. But you appreciate the fact that God has made you perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ. And there's no separation from the love of God, which is in Christ. And we've already talked about, well, how do you get in Christ? Romans chapter 6 says, all of us who've been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. If you don't want to have any condemnation, you, you, you can not be condemned for any of your sins. How does that happen? Get in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Well, you make up your mind. You recognize, first of all, I've got some things in my life that are not right. God doesn't want these things for me. God has asked me not to do these things, not to live this kind of life. You recognize that. You recognize that Jesus is the way, John chapter 14, to get to the Father and the way for your sins to be forgiven, Acts chapter 2. And you recognize that he's the solution to the problem that I have. And you commit yourself, you make up your mind that he's going to be the Lord of your life. Romans chapter 9, chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that uh, confession leads to salvation. Naming Jesus as the Lord of your life leads to salvation. And we recognize that we're baptized into Christ. 
There is nothing magical about the water that, it, that is behind me in the, uh, in the baptistry. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing magical about any of it. The grace and the forgiveness and the mercy comes from God, and we access that through our submission to baptism. This morning, if you're not a Christian, and again, I don't mean this to belittle your faith, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Christ, He commands you to be baptized. And disciples follow the commandments of their teacher. So this morning, if you claim to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and you haven't been baptized into Jesus, then you're missing something very important that Jesus says that those who would follow him will do. And that's where we come in contact with the blood of Christ, and that blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. Do you want to go to heaven? Let me say that one more time. Do you want to go to heaven? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will go to the Father in heaven except through Him. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you living your life according to God's Word? Again, God knows you won't do it perfectly. That's why Jesus came. So I'm not saying to you this morning uh, that if you're not doing it perfectly that, that you've lost your salvation. What I'm saying for the Christian is recognize your shortcomings, admit those shortcomings, do your best to change your shortcomings and rely upon God and His grace to be all-sufficient for everything else. Where do you put your hope and trust? Not in your own ability to follow God, but in your effort to follow God and His filling all the holes and all the gaps in between. If you're not a Christian this morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God? Will you name Him as the Lord of your life? Will you submit to baptism where all your sins are washed away? And will you come up out of that watery grave with a new life, with a new focus, with a new aim? And will you do your best starting today to follow Jesus all the way to heaven? So that one day, when your race is over, and you enter into eternity, you'll do it with joy. If you're here this morning and you need help, we want to help you get there. And the way that we'll help you get there is by loving and supporting you through the good times and the bad. And guess what? We won't do that perfectly either. But that's our goal and our aim. That's what we want to do. And that's what we're about. We're seeking something greater than what the world has to offer. If you're interested in any of that this morning, we want to sit down with you. We want to look at God's Word and study with you. If you're ready this morning to put on Christ in baptism, there's no better time than right now. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.